Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. That's the one we record, right, Tracy? Uh, yeah. Are you trying to give it away that you just introduced five other ones before you got this take right? Yeah, I like to okay. I like to take everyone behind the curtain. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And the dulcet tones you hear over there are Tracy Pearson's. Tracy, how are you? <laughs> good. I'm plural. I'm yes. very good. How are you, Dave's? I'm okay. I'm okay. okay. I'm still getting uh, calibrated. I was in Montana, uh, and now I'm here. And so, oh. you know, it's just getting, you know, getting should back we talk in the flow. Should, should we talk about why you were there? It was a bachelor party. It was tremendous. Wow. Great How time. was that? Were you inebriated most of the time? Yeah. And when I wasn't, yeah. I was engaged in grueling physical activity. Um, so it like, was... Like lifting beers. Well, no. It was, uh, it was whitewater rafting. Okay. It was uh, hiking. It was a game of touch football, which involved um, eight minor to severe injuries, and uh, and uh, and some fly fishing, which I wouldn't call grueling physical activity, but certainly physical activity. Wow! Look at you all. You guys don't sit around and just imbibe. You actually go out and and do physical activity. I know it was incredible. Wow, it's pretty amazing. Ten out of ten. I'm, would recommend again. I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. But we're here now uh, talking all things UCLA sports because that's what we do here on this show. Uh, UCLA is entering uh, the final days before the uh, end of spring practice in football. Um, basketball has, uh, you know, some news and notes and some potential news coming up. Um, but we thought we'd start with uh, spring practice, spring football. Let's do it. So what, what do you think of it, Dave? Uh, I'm going to say that um, based on your and Mike's and Sam's um, truly, I mean, transcendent reports, <laughs> they're going 10 and 2, maybe 11 <laughs> and 1. Oh, you're in that mode right now. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I'm not believe If there was like a, a lie detector, you were wired up right now, that thing would be just no, it's, smoking. Here's the thing right is now. if we'd recorded last week, I might have actually been able to say that genuinely. Um, but I've achieved a sense of nirvana. Like I am truly uh, transcending the uh, the uh, physical plane of existence. And so I can see the future. And obviously we all know they're probably not going 10 and 2 or 11 and 1. Uh, but last week, I was thinking it, man. Like I was getting a little pumped up. Sounded pretty good. Defense wow. sounded pretty great. So so what what uh, what turns you around? I, you would think like a little flag football and some fly fishing would would deliver you even further into Nirvana. No no no. no. It's it brought me to a sense of uh, truly um, I don't know. You know I wouldn't I I'm not going to call myself omniscient. You know that that might be a little much. If you, you if you were omniscient, you really wouldn't have to call yourself that, would you? Now you're talking. Now you're yeah. now you're really speaking my language. But you know, just uh, you know, having a little bit more perspective on the thing, I was getting a little too into these reports, and then I remembered, oh wait, they're they're just playing against each other because it's spring practice, and it <laughs> it only vaguely matters. Here's the thing, though, and I mean every spring practice, defense always dominates. Defense is always better for a number of reasons. The offense uh, is installing; they're getting their timing. The defense tends to know. <laughs> you know, their own offense's playbook. So it's, it's usually uh, dominant. But given, given what we saw last year with the offense being pretty good, I would have maybe liked to have seen the offense do a little bit better uh, this spring. But then on the other hand, 
after last year, we probably weren't that worried about the offense because they were pretty decent and the defense was a little worrisome. So you could look at it from the standpoint that this, this might make you feel a little bit better about the defense. Yeah, and I mean, the, the tenor of the report certainly sound as if the defense has been very good. I mean, the transfer, Genmark Heath, am I saying any of that right? Sounds good. Sure. Let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, he sounds great. Um, you know, he's kind of taken that pole position in the transfer linebackers from uh, Cahoe, uh, from what I'm gleaning from these reports. And, the you know, and I think um, the offense – it's hard for me to imagine them taking a step back from last year. Um, even if they're just as good, but the defense takes a big leap up, that'll end up being a pretty good team. Um, so even if, and this is the thing you're assessing spring ball. So it's, it's already a fool's errand to try to assess like these team wide things from spring ball, because just, you know, it's a bunch of dudes who are in the middle of the off season. They don't even look quite the way they're going to look at the end of this or by the beginning of August. Um, so it's just, it's, you take everything with a grain of salt. Um, but if, you know, the broad conclusion of the spring is, you know, relatively borne out that the defense is maybe even a touch better than last year, that would be a really good takeaway. It's, but it's, it's weird to judge because they're only going against themselves in practice. So it's hard to base any of that. That's why I was actually, um, I really enjoyed your, your practice report from today uh, covering just kind of the player evaluations because I think that's really the that those are the really the real nuggets you can take from spring, which is how do the newcomers look, how do these young guys look, uh, who's made a big leap, who maybe doesn't look as good, you know that sort of stuff. So I thought your story today was really good. Thank you very much. Yeah, we provide nuggets. Um, we love nuggets here at Bruin Report Online. And speaking of which, uh, since I kind of got into the linebackers. Um, some good news and then maybe a little bit of worrisome news. Um, Bo Calvert looks probably the same. Maybe a little bit more self-assured and knowing what he's doing, but looks like the same player to me. Caleb Johnson looks like a middle linebacker. If you had to draw a middle linebacker, you'd make it Caleb Johnson. I mean, he is... I don't think I could draw a middle linebacker. <laughs> if you could envision a middle linebacker, he he would be kind of it. I mean, he's looking more like Chris Barnes than he is anyone else right now. Let's put it that way. Um, and Jenmark Heath has Genmark. Ooh, ooh. Genmark did you Heath. go Genmark? I went soft G. I don't know. Should we do? Is this like a GIF GIF situation? Yeah. Are you a Are you a GIF? I'm a GIF. It should be GIF, but I'm a GIF. I know. So I'll, I'll admit that it'll it it'll GIF, end up being GIF. it'll end up being GIF. Like in the long run, there won't be any GIFs left. But GIF yeah. makes the most logical sense. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, Genmark, Genmark Heath, uh, probably has been like I wrote one of the surprises of not surprises, but one of the better parts to discover of spring practice. He's benefited just because he came in early with winter quarter and he's been there. Uh, but I, I like him a lot. He's kind of stepped in and he looks like he absolutely knows what he's doing. On the other hand, Ali Kao, for one thing, has only been there, I mean, enrolled and then went out to practice almost within hours. So he's got a lot to learn, obviously, about the scheme. And I've noticed Don Pelham spending a lot of time with him. 
He's also kind of moved around, and I, he's probably now settling into the will, but even though they're, you know, ex- most of the time in spring they experiment with positions, but in the last week, that's kind of where they see them, right, heading into fall. Right. Uh, and then kind of the surprise was Jab- Jakari Price, which I'll admit I had to look at my roster a couple of times when I saw that kid stepping into the twos and the ones. Um, he looks very, he looks small. He looks young. He does look quick. Uh, and he looks very instinctual uh, playing that Raider spot. But uh, like I wrote my takeaway here, and we've talked about this before, this defense is kind of predicated on faster and thus smaller guys. And that is a trend here. Um, we've seen, I see a lot smaller guys being plugged into positions that usually you would think would be fairly larger guys. Uh, if you took a Tito Agbanya off of that defense, there's, there's really no one, uh, Tyler Manoa and Tyler Manoa is probably 290 pounds. There's probably no true, real, big, bulky interior defensive lineman, um, which I think is a worry because if you're if you're trying to create a defense which is versatile, where you can plug guys in in different situations, that's great. But you still need a couple of Otito Ogbongas. I just like saying that. You need a you need a couple of Ogbongas, Dave. I, um, don't we all in our own little ways? <laughs> So that that's kind of that's kind of a worry. Uh, and if I'm just finishing this off, Damian Sellers, who moved from outside linebacker, he was the he was the crown jewel of the 2021 class. And uh, it looks like they're trying to find a place for him. I don't know if the Mike linebacker is the spot for him. If it is, it's going to take some time. He's kind of tall and vertical and lo- and rather than wide and you know girthy to take up room and and hold your ground he's more Bo Calverty so maybe they have you know after I wrote that this morning Bo Calvert's 6364 Kane Madrano is probably 63 Damian Sellers is 6364 maybe they've got another version of a middle linebacker that we're just not clued into um so that was yeah that I, I suddenly looked up and said, yeah, we need to do some player evaluations. We've just been writing about, you know, this guy caught this ball. And you can fall into that because, once again, I just have to say, our our ability to watch practice is severely hindered by where we are and what we can see. So forgive us that we haven't been able to do full player evaluations on everyone on the team. I know you guys would like that. Uh, one last thing on the defense. I, I think the thing that worries me the most, and I know this is, you know, something that you hold dear. I don't know if there's an elite pass rusher. They might be pass rushing by committee like they were last year. Mitchell Agude does look good. He not necessarily just as a pass rusher, but just like he might inherit the mantle of Osa Adigazua as a guy that can. Don't don't ask, don't ask him that. He about (laughs) my head off when I asked him that question. Did you? I oh, I didn't hear that part. What did he no, say? I just asked him. Uh, you know, do do you? Uh, obviously, you're playing slightly different roles, slightly different position. But you know, do you take anything from you know wanting to fill his shoes a little bit? 
He's like, I'm not filling anybody's shoes. The hell. Um, <laughs> I kind of like that. I no, it was like great. Um, yeah. No, but he's got the right attitude for it. Um, yeah. So that, that, that backs up what you're saying. If there's any guy along that front that looks like that's a potential like NFL player, if you really project out and think and could be dominant next year, it would be him. Okay. Well, so, yeah, that is exciting. But it is all, I mean, I'm telling you, they're moving smaller guys. I mean, John Ward is a defensive lineman. Hayden Harris, defensive line. You know, Shea Brian Strother, defensive line. I mean, all these guys are, you know, 235 pounds to 250 pounds. So, yeah, worry about that for a while, bros. But there you go. All right. Well, exciting stuff. Um, in additional exciting news, uh, we've gotten to talk to several assistant coaches on the UCLA football team. Yes, that's crazy. I I mean, not to not to toot our horn. Toot it, toot it, toot it hard. But you have to think that is a direct, and I have been told that is a direct reaction to uh, to bro. Uh, to Bruno Purim, the thing I wrote about access and that we had never, and I, and I honestly do believe that, uh, a part of this was, uh, the program just suddenly realizing going, yeah, crap. We really, I, we had this policy years ago of no assistant coaches and wow, we're still doing this, aren't we? <laughs> and then realizing, wow, that's kind of silly. So all good. We'll take what we can get. It's amazing how much nothing against all the players. There are some very, their players are some very good interviewees, but damn, it's nice to talk to assistant coaches, right? I, I mean, you like talking to Gunderson, yeah, and 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 Newheisel could talk to him all day. I mean, nice. my God, um, so that's been that's been great. It's it, if there's a takeaway from spring practice is that we've been able to talk to assistant coaches. Well, and it's by so, the media. I mean, it's I'm really glad they made that change. Um, it was uh, basically shooting themselves in the foot for absolutely no reason. It's sort of the cutting off my nose despite my face thing because it's good for the program to get these guys out there um especially when they have the charisma of so many of them so far i mean jerry neuheisel shit you should have jerry neuheisel talking every week um but gunderson he was great uh justin fry today uh mike talked to him he was great uh all these guys uh they've got a story to tell and they've got a pitch to make um and uh the more that they can get out there visibly uh, the better for the program um and obviously, it's better for us, too. I mean, I think it's better for, you know, I, I think if you look at our views over time, like of these different videos, when we have an assistant coach or even Chip Kelly, uh, those do better than the player interviews, just generally speaking. Uh, people are more interested to hear that perspective, and it stands to reason. Um, but uh, it's it's better for us, like, and then we get to, you know, get to know them, get to know where they're coming from a little bit and what they're doing and how they're coaching their guys and what they're pitching. Uh, but it's really good for the assistants too, not only for the functions of their current job, um, you know, recruiting and, and being able to, you know, get semi-friendly with the media. Uh, but on top of that, um, it's good practice for them. You know, Jerry Neuheisel will more than likely be moving up in the coaching ranks. Ryan Gunderson will more than likely be moving up in the coaching ranks. Justin Fry 
will more than likely be moving up in the coaching ranks as years go by. The more media practice they can get, the better. Um, so all of that to say, really, really good change. Um, I've, I've enjoyed each one of these interviews. Um, so uh, hopefully it's a policy that continues into the fall when uh, there's actual stuff to talk about on a week-to-week basis. Well, it, it, it makes you do want to just pause for a moment and try to fathom why you wouldn't do that. I mean, maybe at the beginning when you just take over a program and you don't necessarily know the assistant coaches and you're not sure what they're going to say and controlling the message might yeah. take some effort. But at this point, uh, Justin Fry can certainly handle himself in an interview. I think you're fine letting him go without having to brief him. Um, yeah. So like you said, look at all the upside. Uh, I mean, these guys are walking billboards for your program. And the um, thing is, I mean, it's not, uh, I mean, I think even when Ben is there, even when uh, whatever, this isn't like, I don't know, it's not the White House press corps. Like, we're not trying to get state secrets out of these dudes almost ever. Um, and certainly not like, when we try to get that stuff, it's not in an on-camera interview. Um, that's not the, like, function of those. It's, especially with the first time we're ever talking to these guys, it's getting to know you conversations. It's like, okay, so what's your like philosophy with this sort of thing or whatever? Um, there's no state secrets that are going to be revealed. Now, if you want to get into the week to week later on in the season and you don't want your defensive and offensive coordinators talking, I mean, fine. If you like, once it gets into the week to week and it's like, oh, we don't want him talking because he might reveal something about injuries or whatever. But also trust your adults that you've hired not to give that stuff away too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like, especially in the long off season, I, I can't imagine the downside. Um, so very, very good for them to switch it. I don't really understand why it's been this way for so long, but, uh, very, very good for them to switch it. Yes. Um, generally you'd have to say that the football program I'm not going to say it's in a good place, but I'll say it's not in a bad place. <laughs> the team, the team looks good, and I know we got to take it with a grain of salt because a lot of a lot of teams have uh, super seniors, and a lot of from what I've been reading, a lot of teams have been looking good during spring practice. But I, I still think you have to take in consideration this team should be good, Dave. There, I mean, just from the mere standpoint that they're returning. It's going to be a three-year starter at quarterback. They had a very good running game. They averaged 220 yards a game on the ground. And they returned their offensive line. And from spring practice, I didn't do the obvious evaluations, but Sean Ryan was a beast today. <laughs> I was going to save that one for another report, but he, was, he looked very good in one-on-ones. Alec Anderson was very good. Antonio Mafia was also very good. Um, and Britton Brown was saving that for another one too, but he, I've written that he looks slimmed down and he, he definitely does. Um, I wouldn't say he looks thin, but he looks like he's probably shed five to eight pounds, which has increased his quickness and his burst. He, he looks like, he looks like an NFL running back out there too. 
Given all that, you'd have to expect that this team is going to have a winning season. On top of that, we've talked about this. They're recruiting well. They're recruiting pretty decently. They got the number 22 class in the country with only seven commitments. Um, they're getting guys just based on uh, that last season. There was some optimistic takeaways from last season. They went three and four, and they're recruiting well based on based on that. So all, all in all, Dave, you'd have to say. It's not in, let's not say it's in a great place, but we'll say it's in a better place than it's been probably for the first three years of Chip Kelly's era. Speaking of programs that are in a better place than they've been, is that, is that anything? Can we do that? Yeah, sure. I'll take that segue. Okay. UCLA basketball. Okay. Um, Understatement, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so UCLA has a couple of kind of interesting decisions coming up. One, uh, kind of sneaking up on us here, uh, which is May 30th is the deadline for the so-called super seniors to, uh, what do we say? Pooper get off the pot. Yeah. It's the deadline for all undergrads, but because of the super senior whole thing, they have to do it too. Yes. yes. So, uh, Chris Smith has to decide whether he is going to put his name into the professional ranks or uh, not. Um, little bit of nugget. Nugget. From what I'm hearing, the feeling is that he's coming back. Woo-hoo. For him, for him to have left, for him to have le- to leave, he'd have to. He'd have to think that he's he's going to get a contract. And he's probably not going to get drafted, but, you know, he'll get a contract. And I, I, there's, from what I'm hearing, the feeling is that he's coming. There's too much uncertainty about getting in the, NF, uh, the NBA draft and that it's feeling like he's coming back. So if he comes back, Dave, and I know you're going to piss off people with this. Do you want Johnny Juzang to come back too? Well, so that's where it gets really tough. Because so here's the thing, uh, if I could pick one or the other, I'm picking Juzang. But Correct. you might not know about Juzang until July. And here's the thing, I've looked at that uh, minutes allocation for next year uh, with both of those dudes back and everyone else on board and the whole thing, and it gives me hives. Like it, it drives me absolutely insane trying to figure out who's going to get minutes, how these guys are going to be kept happy. How are they going to keep anybody like from just leaving the program in droves because they're not playing? And that makes me worried. Um, and so the thing with Smith and Juzang is that uh, each of them is probably only – I mean, obviously, Chris Smith is only in school for another year if he comes back. Uh, Johnny Juzang, uh, there's no way he flirts this hard with the NBA and then comes back for a second year after this one, right? Like, Correct. It's, it's one more year. Both guys. Jaime Hawkins. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you're talking about that. And then the, the reality is that um, Chris Smith comes back. He might not start. Um, like, there's a very good chance he doesn't. Actually. Especially if he's still recovering a bit from the knee. Yeah, and right? we don't – I mean, and we don't – I mean, he was still looking, um, you know, in, in March, even just like kind of walking up and slapping those things on the wall, he looked a little gimpy still, um, which totally makes sense. It was only, what, three and a half months. 
Um, and regardless, you don't want to disrupt the chemistry and the team that took you to a Final Four initially, right? right. You, but yeah. there's also a very good chance that Jules Bernard doesn't start because you're looking at, okay, say Johnny Juzang does come back because I still don't see him projected anywhere near as a surefire first round. Uh, so you've got Johnny Juzang. He's got to start if he comes back. Uh, you've got Jaime Hawkes, who I, I just have an impossible time seeing uh, Mick Cronin deciding to bring him in off the bench. Spirit think, animal. Yeah, Spirit animal. Those two guys are starting. So then you've got one spot, basically, for Jules Bernard, Chris Smith, and um, who am I forgetting? Peyton Watson. Peyton Watson. <laughs> Jalen Clark. Jalen Clark for all those guys to fight over. Um, and that's just who's starting. So even if you say, okay, the starters, they're only going to get each 25 to 28 minutes, you're just not leaving many minutes for development guys. Like Jalen Clark... He's going to need minutes this year, not just for, okay, that's what you know brings the upside this year. He needs minutes, so he's the kind of player he needs to be in his junior year when more than likely a bunch of these guys are gone. Johnny Juzang, Peyton Watson, so on and so forth. It's about, you don't want this roster stacked with dudes who should be starting because they know that. Um, and so it's, it's a nuanced thing. But yeah, I mean, I think there's... I think you can make a fair argument that you probably don't want each of Smith and Juzang competing for minutes on this team next year. I think that's the reality of what's going to happen, though. I think they're both going to come back. And um, here's the, here's the other thing too, and I just if, if it's if you're breaking out in hives, uh, think about maybe on one hand the UCLA coaches are thinking this is fantastic, but on the other hand. They're breaking out in hives across all of their bald heads. <laughs> yes. I had to say that. Um, and here's the other thing, and a lot of people are going to listen to this and say, well, screw that. I mean, they, there's a very, very real element here of how a program treats its five-star potential one-and-dones that other recruits are watching, other AAU teams are watching. Peyton Watson's going to come in, and he's not given a huge amount of time to play, like 25 minutes. There, uh, let's just, I'll just say it. I've heard from some AAU people uh, after UCLA went to the Final Four, and there was a lot of buzz. Um, and let's say these AAU people might have had might have a one and done type or. Let's say they have a guy who they think is one and done. And uh, you'd have to say, hey, well, look what UCLA did for Johnny Juzang. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this was actually said. Well, I want to see what they do for Peyton Watson. He's more the type of guy we want to see, you know, come in as a freshman and how they showcase him. I know all of us would want to just hang up on that guy and say, like, F off. But in the real world of recruiting, you can't. So they're not only are they getting hives from thinking about just how to manage the roster and playing time, that has to be a little bit in the back of their mind that how they can give time to the potential one and done. Now, I'm sure Cronin and his staff, if Peyton Watson isn't deserving of it, probably won't get those minutes. But there's still going to be some pressure there on how they use Paint Watson because they know other recruits, their parents, their handlers, their AAU coaches are all watching. Right. 
And so that's going to be, um, you know, obviously the big challenge heading into next year is just managing um, those minutes. Because, I mean, right now, if you're betting, you're probably thinking Smith and Juzang back, right? Uh, right now, if I'm going to bet, and and this is this is based on almost no information on Johnny Juzang because he just he hasn't been in a workout, he hasn't done anything. I think Juzang is going pro. Okay, well, yeah. so. And that's so that makes it an interesting thing because so again if I had to pick one to come back it's Johnny Juzang because he's a proven uh, elite level scorer. Um, yes. Chris Smith not so much. Chris Smith does give you things that Johnny Juzang can't and hasn't, which is rebounding, some defense, obviously length, just his physical attributes. Uh, but if I'm picking one, I want Juzang back. Um, Smith coming back kind of. Um, you still have you still have some minute allocation issues. Um, now, obviously, you don't have to please your fifth-year senior. Um, he's not going anywhere. So I think you can still bring Chris Smith off the bench and still give Peyton Watson essentially those, uh, whatever you want to call that position, a long guard or a power forward, whatever the hell you want to call it. You can still give him those minutes. Um, but you are lacking that um, end-of-game finisher, that guy who can uh, score at will. Like, that would still need to be developed there. Because um, I don't think, even at his best points, I don't think Chris Smith was exactly that. Um, I think Jules Bernard maybe has potential to be that, but he's not. He doesn't have the versatility of Johnny Juzang. Uh, Peyton Watson, it's an unknown. Um, but I think he's more of a you know, do everything guy, not necessarily a, you know, be an elite scorer as a freshman in college. Uh, maybe it's Hawkes to an extent. I mean, he certainly was being the one B to uh, Juzang for much of the NCAA tournament, but that's the piece that would need to be developed there. I think if you got Juzang back, Smith is just a nice to have, or in my, you know, learned estimation, actually not a nice to have because it messes with the minutes. Uh, Juzang is the one who fills a gap. Smith doesn't necessarily fill that gap, and it creates a gap if Juzang leaves. Um, so that's the piece that would still need to be developed out of that roster. Uh, um, I agree that it's very stressful thinking about minutes, but if you actually think possibly from player to player, uh, Chris Smith will come back, and as you said, uh, fifth-year senior, and not that you're going to neglect him, but he – he doesn't necessarily need a lot of minutes. Um, it's not like you'd be beholden to give him a lot of minutes and coming off his knee. And and he'd probably be looking to just really showcase himself in the time that he plays. Uh, Peyton Watson, as I've already said, will probably earn the amount of minutes, but he'll get a good chunk. And then, I mean, the other guys, if you lose David Singleton, I mean, he's a senior anyway. It would have been a super senior year for him to come back the next year. The guy guy that you got to be worried about really losing, I think, when it really comes down to all this, is Jalen Clark. And that's the guy you don't want to lose. Because he's kind of the future, I think, over the next three or four years. that's the guy, and you could see it the way it would work out, like even how you were naming them, how he might be an odd man out here. And I, I think that's the guy they really have to make sure they give they give some minutes to, that you have to literally put a pin in it and say, 
we need to give minutes to Jalen Clark. Yeah, because then you're suddenly looking at if if all right, so say it plays out where he's whatever unhappy with his minutes or whatever, you don't want to be in a position where you have to completely rebuild your roster in two years. Um, yes, and they're already going to have to take a big class, um, but you don't want it to be. We have to take a big class, and like several of them need to be immediate, you know, huge impact guys. Um, so that's where it's going to, um, you know, I, I think it, this is where you get into the advanced calculus of uh, roster management, um, where sometimes adding more talent uh, to a roster isn't necessarily the best solution. Um, and it, it's it's one of a piece with what we've talked about is like a recruiting strategy for UCLA. Um, you know, you need your, your goodish four stars too, but even in a sense of returning players, uh, you want to be sure that you're getting, um, everyone back so that it creates a good chemistry, um, set, a good chemistry fit. Um, and it's just, I mean, I, I, I'm amazed all these guys, um, you know, were happy with what went on this year. Um, so I think Mick Cronin's really good at managing a roster, and I think these guys love each other and really enjoy playing with each other. I just don't want to test that even more. Um, and I think that's what you do when you add a five-star to the – think about what was there. Peyton Watson and Chris Smith weren't there um, this during this run, and you're just adding them without subtracting anything if Johnny Juzan comes back. Um, that's, that's, that's tough so- to imagine. So I have another question for you. Let's say Juzang, let's say Chris Smith comes back, Juzang goes pro. Mm-hmm. So you have an open scholarship. Do you look to fill it? Do yeah, you I mean what's you, a, let's say let's say you can get a, a good combo guard, but it is gonna put pressure on giving him minutes. The only situation where I would take a guy at that point is probably if they if it's somebody who has developmental upside but is content playing uh five minutes a game and probably somebody who can be a backup point guard. Well, I can tell you they're probably not going to take a a multiple year transfer point guard because they have Dylan Andrews committed unless the guy is a potential pro and he wants to come and play and any potential pros are going to come and play and compete with Tiger Campbell. uh, Because even if he's better, he's thinking that's a situation where it's, I might, it's not an open door to minutes. So it would be a guy who is a, point guard who could give you serviceable well not serviceable good 10 minutes 12 minutes to back up tiger campbell and he's happy with that for one year so highly unlikely that they would be able to and everyone's been talking yeah everyone's been talking about that on the forum on you know who do you get Highly, highly. That's a very special person well, even, <laughs> who's out there. Even, even with that, uh, even if Juzang doesn't come back, you're still in a minutes crunch on the wing. And yeah. I wouldn't necessarily want to pull um, point guard minutes away from whatever combination of Jules Bernard and David Singleton are taking the backup point um, as the roster stands. Yeah, uh, because those guys are going to need to get their minutes somewhere. Uh, yeah, because even with Juzang out, you still have. Watson and Smith, who were both not here during the run this past year. So you still are adding another guy who's a starter quality guy on top of the guy replacing Juzang. Um, so, I mean, that's a... It's still a minutes crunch even with Smith back and Juzang gone. And you still need to find probably an additional five for Bernard and an additional five for Singleton somewhere. Um, so backup point might be where it is. Right. 
Yes. Hey, there's one other thing I wanted to circle back with on football, which is kind of a little bit of the news of the week. Uh, Ethan Garbers was granted his eligibility. That is um, true. And a pretty, pretty interesting story. He transfers from Washington, and because he didn't spend a full academic year, which is two semesters or three quarters at Washington, under the rules of the National Letter of Intent, he has to sit for an entire academic year, which would not have hap- which not happen before fall quarter. Um, everything was peeled away from the NCA rule that you have to sit when you transfer. Uh, as we all know, that rule was alleviated, and one one time you can transfer without having to sit out. The Pac-12 canceled its intra-conference rule that you would have to sit out. Uh, so all that was left was that NLI rule. And the way it works is uh, you appeal to the NLI committee and the committee goes back to the original school and hopefully everyone says, yeah, good. Okay, yeah, we'll let them out. Well, Washington didn't. So Garbers had to appeal again to the NLI committee. And with that pressure, Washington finally relented. Um, I find this really interesting because they they obviously did this with Colson Yankoff too. Uh, what's your take on? I'm setting you up. Have you noticed? Mm-hmm. What's your take? What's your take on the the wash the look that Washingtons get for doing this? And uh, yeah, let's just keep it there. What, well, I what think do you they've, think? They've looked like uh, crap for years doing this stupid stuff, and I don't think it looks any better for them to, at the eleventh hour, finally relent on this stupid rule that they were attempting to enforce. Um, I think it looks really bad for them. I think it's going to look bad for them in recruiting circles. I think it can absolutely be used in negative recruiting. And it's one thing for Chris Peterson to do this stuff when he's, you know, feeling when it feels like he's starting to build a little bit of a dynasty or a run there or whatever you want to do. Who's Jimmy Lake? Like, who's Jimmy Lake that he thinks he can do this stuff? Um, So, no, I I don't think it does anything good for their program to be seen as the one that's, um, I don't know, reactionary with with all this stuff. Like, no, they need to be, um, I think they need to be a little bit worried about how that's going to play in recruiting circles, and I'm absolutely sure that's a big part of why they eventually relented here. Um, And, and, And here's karma. You know, well, you don't know, but it would be so fitting. October 16th, UCLA plays at Washington. DTR, their game's close. It's coming down to the last drive. DTR is nicked up. Ethan Garbers goes in and throws the winning touchdown uh, to Yankoff. That'd be beautiful. It'd be really great. Um, Yeah, no, Washington, uh, yeah, you're not good enough to be doing that stuff. Frankly, no one's good enough to be doing that stuff. It's just messing with kids for absolutely no reason. Um, and, and their response was everyone upheld this rule, and that's not true. UCLA had a, a history of of signing off and and uh, listen and allowing the waiver with how many different guys, uh, a number of guys. So, and this yeah, go, going back to Mora, um, UCLA was pretty good about it. I can only remember one instance where it was. Well, I can't actually remember the guy's name, but I remember one where it was like the kid had done some pretty screwed up stuff in the whole process. And so it, but like Washington was doing this as a matter of like as a rule. Um, so yeah, no, uh, hopefully they are treated to some bad karma for even for doing it to Yankoff. But then, uh, 
attempting to go this far with Garbers. Yeah. Just had to finish it with that since, I mean, it's kind of like justification, you know, the, the world writes itself. And that was a, that was a story where, you know, the right side won. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, Dave, got anything else? You oh, Tracy. You, you always asked me that, so I wanted to get that in that I could ask you. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. There's no fluid left in my body. <laughs> I don't want to know where it all went. Yeah, I know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. Everyone continue to be safe out there.